What's going on, y'all? This is Tori Smith, host of Trending Thoughts, and we're back for another week. As always, I appreciate all the love and all the support. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, and all those good things. I greatly appreciate it, and it's been a journey on this podcast. I remember when I first started out, I was online trying to find different companies, different people that could help me with this process, and I was able to get introduced to now a good friend of mine, Adam Vasquez from Herd Pods, who helped me put this thing together. And so now he's a huge Philly fan. He's from outside the Philadelphia area. And it's only right, since there's a lot of news going on in Philadelphia, that we have him as a guest this week. Not really a guest. We're going to call you the host. You're going to help me transition my thoughts as we work on through this. But y'all, welcome Adam Vasquez to the show. Appreciate you coming on, bro. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a fun, fun ride from uh, sitting in your basement trying to brainstorm what the show is going to be about to what it, you just did episode 20, I think. Right. That's crazy. 20. That's 20, even with the huge break in there. So <laughs> I don't even know how it's crazy how everything's going, but it's been fun. And I appreciate what y'all do for me. And uh, and now even watching my son. He wants to join in. So y'all are adding to the fun, man. It's been it's been a great process. We met before quarantine, but you know, as we progressed and learned more, I've really enjoyed it and I've been able to connect with a lot of people as well. So I appreciate your company and what y'all do for me. Of course, of course. And I'm glad uh, I'm glad we're doing this this weekend. It feels like an appropriate weekend to do it. Um I was thinking about it because I think this week had more important football games. Than maybe any other week before with like super wild card and college national championship and all that. Like it just all fell together in the same seven day period. It did. You know, you have the playoffs coming, you know, you have your city, your team, the Eagles, you know, you have my, my, my first love, the Baltimore Ravens, a lot of good things going on here, man. And as you know, we, this is trending thoughts. We talk about what's trending in my world and the real world. And uh, let's get straight to the wild card. Mm. Yeah. So what'd you think about it? Obviously they had the extra games, both Saturday and Sunday. Um, But I guess first as a fan, like, what did you, did you, obviously it's a full slate. Do you like that? Yeah, I did. I enjoyed it. You know, I spent a lot of time with my family watching it and, you know, I like the fact that that extra game is there. It, it makes that number one seed that much more valuable, you know, being a former player and actually being on a team that has had the one and two, you know, the four times I've been to playoffs, two times I've been a part of a team that had to buy. And it is a big difference. You can recover. You can watch the games. It's like you kind of have weight lifted off of your shoulders a little bit. And you, you can be on the Patriots plan, which is really win two games and you're into, into the Super Bowl. So it's a great place to be as a team. But as a fan of the game, you watch people scrap, scrap it out. You know, the Washington football team, a team that I've been covering this year with NBC Sports Washington, you know, I've grown to like a team that I grew up hating. <laughs> you know, in the wild card, you were able to watch them battle it out. You were able to see Ron Rivera at his best. You were able to see Taylor Heineke come off of the streets and help lead his team, uh, a guy who I had the opportunity to play with in Carolina. So, I mean, it, it was a fun weekend of ball. Great ball all the way around. The Steelers lose. You know, it's never a bad day when the Pittsburgh Steelers lose, uh, especially where I live in the Baltimore area. But it just as a fan of the game, you know, there are so many great stories and lines to follow. And, you know, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of almost like a baseball feel like that first weekend in baseball when the wild card happens and there's just game after game after game. Like there was nonstop games on for a couple of days there. But I was wondering as a player, 
Um, obviously you just talked a little bit about it, just, you know, wanting to go after that first seed or having the benefit of the first or second seed. But is there any part of you that thinks that, you know, adding that long-term, it obviously makes it that much harder. You like, you have to get the first seed, um, or you get no buy. Like, is there any part of you that, that wants that buy, even if, if you're only the second seed? Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely want the buy, you know, I like that they went to only one. I mean, again, we had that extra game, but also again, it's, it's like you're really fighting for that one spot. You need it because you never know what the health of your team is like. You know, for example, Aaron Donald went and got hurt this week, right? Like if that would have been week 17 of the season, he would have had an extra week to heal, really two weeks because they can take care of you in practice as well. And you had time to recover. And there are guys who are hurt in the NFL. Uh, you are hurt. Every single player feels terrible at the end of the season. You know, it's no secret. That's just the way it goes. And you have to continue to battle. And so having that extra week, can be huge for a team, but history shows everyone doesn't handle that bye week well. You know, some teams come out flat. You have to be willing to handle that and balance that as well as a team and as an organization. But I think, you know, because you have a – a lot of people feel that if you take a week off, just like you have a week off from work in the real world, it's like, all right, you kind of lose your mojo. You lose your rhythm a little bit. But I like to view it on the other side of what happens when you take a break or you have a vacation week in the real world. Like, you feel refreshed. You feel, you feel new. You feel ready to roll. And, again, the teams I've been on, we've been ready to roll off of that bye week. And uh, the two teams that had a bye week this year, the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm sure they'll be ready to roll this week. So another thing that I thought was weird, I mean, there was the extra games, and then there was this this weird, uh, I don't diversity, I guess, of quarterback types in the playoffs this year. Like, normally you have your guys. You've got Drew, Aaron, um, you know, back in the day, Peyton, Tom, et cetera. Philip, some of those guys are still in it now, but this year they had, you know, you mentioned Taylor for, for Washington, you had um, the Rams had their backup in for a little bit and then they went to Goff, And then you had this extreme chasm between Ben, Tom, Drew, uh, Philip rivers. And then the, you know, I think I saw a graphic on Saturday about how old all those guys are, but then on Sunday <laughs> there was a graphic about how in the AFC now Baker's the oldest quarterback. I'm not, I don't even think he's 25 yet. So like, what do you think about that stark contrast kind of between the, the old guard and, and the new young guns? Yeah, it says a lot about the old guys and what they've been able to do. I mean, you're talking about guys who I loved watching play, you know, as a teenager, Tom Brady, Drew Brees. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, these guys, I remember watching them play. You know, I've I've had my whole full career of eight years and they're still going strong, right? You know, they've been playing for so long at a very high level. And you have to give respect to them, but there's a changing of the guard in the NFL right now. You know, you see it with Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. Russell Wilson has kind of always been there. You know, he's a veteran, but he's not old. Like if these guys Tom Brady's playing until he's 43, Russell Wilson would be doing the same thing. <laughs> you know, so it's a changing of the guard. There's a lot of talent right now and really a new wave. You know, it, it's they're proving that you don't have to be this prototype, pro-style quarterback. You know, you can win with mobility. You can win with a completely different style of offense like the Baltimore Ravens. And I'm loving the direction that the NFL is headed right, right now. And there are some great faces and great leaders that are making it happen. Yeah, I know you're excited about that Ravens win. You want to talk about that probably most uh, most importantly from the wild card. But first thing I wanted to ask you about with it was I saw a lot of chatter. I saw you talk about it, about this new rivalry between between Tennessee and, and Baltimore. But you said it wasn't as big of a thing when you were playing, right? Yeah, I mean, 
I've I consider it a new robbery. I mean, technically I'm dead wrong in that because you know you had the historical meaning behind it with with uh Ray Lewis and Eddie George and when the Baltimore Ravens were in the AFC Central, I believe. But now, I mean, for older folks that are like, Hold, oh, it's been a rivalry, it's a renewed rivalry. Well, I mean, I don't I've never heard of a rivalry that really dies out and then comes back. It can't be a true rivalry. You could have had some beef for a couple of years. But I mean, when you play the team three times um in really less than a year or so and then you play twice in the playoffs i mean that's a big deal and then it's bad blood you know it, it's not your typical hey this is a, a local team robert you're talking about two head coaches of their teams that are going to be there for a while and that can build and that can be strong and i love it you know i'm in baltimore there will never be a rivalry that tops the pittsburgh steelers but as a fan of the game and watching what's gone on the past year or so, you love it. And I remember watching them stump on the logo and watching, you know, the the Titans do it first earlier this year, you know, just to show their dominance. And, you know, that stuff is, to me, you know, it may not be the most mature thing to say, especially according to my big brother, Ed Reed. But, like, I feel like, you know, sometimes you got to let people know. You got to talk. You got to put it out there. But Ed Reed said... The Ravens should win with class. So I'm just going to leave it at that. We have to be who we are at all times in Baltimore. And really every organization, you want to talk about winning with class. But sometimes you just have to let people know. And that's the way I feel about it. So obviously the Ravens won. A lot of hype, rightfully so. A lot of credit given to Lamar getting his first playoff win. But I know you have thoughts about that. But what not as many people are talking about is that defense. And like it seems like, from my point of view, and I've seen you write about this too, that – that defense could carry a team to the Super Bowl, to the AFC Championship, and behind guys like like Marlon Humphrey and Calais Campbell. What is it that you see? Obviously, that front, but just like what are you seeing out of them that is making them such a special group, especially coming down the home stretch and then um, heading into the playoffs? I mean, that's just Baltimore Ravens football—a relentless team, a physical team, a tough team—and they've been that way for a while. And even when they had their stretch, they had some guys that have gone down. And you mentioned the bye week. And how important that is, you're watching what it looks like with a team that is healthy at the right time. They didn't get a bye week, so they're not as fresh as other teams, but they got healthy at the right time. And those are the most dangerous teams in this league. You're talking about a team that has essentially been playing playoff games for the past five weeks as they went on this run to make it to the playoffs. And you know they're, they're built for a run right now. Um, this is a team that can win a Super Bowl, has the ability, has the leadership, has everything there. You know, Obviously, I lean towards... Uh, the Baltimore Ravens in this playoffs right now. I would love for them to bring another Lombardi to the city, but they have everything that you need to get it done. So it's not just being a fanboy or, you know, sticking with the family, but you know, this is an organization that has the ability to get it done. And you're watching a team that is very hot right now. Remind you of any other Raven teams? For sure. Absolutely. You know, in 2012, when we, we had some struggles throughout the season and, you know, people were questioning who we were. Uh, we had a lot of injuries. Guys got healthy around the right time, and we got hot at the end of the year. We just rolled on through the playoffs. Now it was a dramatic game in there with the in Denver with the Mile High Miracle, which I'll talk about with Jacoby Jones next week. But that season really was just about overcoming adversity. Guys getting hurt and dealing with losses. Personally, a loss in my own family, you know, with losing my brother. And this is a team that has experienced a lot of losses injury-wise this year, literally playing during a pandemic like so many other teams 
and they just continue to push forward. And now look where they are. They're in position. They have everything they want right in front of them. Now, it's not going to be easy going to Buffalo. But, again, this is a team that has the ability to win in any situation. Yeah, so so tell us a little bit about, like, from your perspective, about why that game. And a lot of people talk about, you know, Lamar, he needed to win it. He needed to, to get the monkey off his back. That's overrated, though. That- <laughs> I felt like, I mean, he's only his, what, third year as a starter? Is it third? Yeah, it's uh, two and a half years. He's been starting two and a half years. He's been to the playoffs. This will be three years in a row because he took over at the beginning of that one year or at the end of the one year. And so to me, it's overrated to question if a guy can win in the playoffs. Like, first of all, football is the ultimate team sport, so it's not about one guy. Two, he led a team that had 14 wins. If you can win 14 games in the regular season, you can win one in the playoff. The problem is if you play bad as a team, that one game, then you're done. Like, you can't prove it, right? Like, so I'm glad that it's out the way. It's not a conversation that people continue to have because I've never seen a player that just continues to get ripped by everyone and all he does is do things the right way. You know, you never hear anything about him away from the field. You watch the way he plays. He wins. He leads his team. He is a hell of a player. They question, could he throw the ball? Now he led the league in touchdown passes. Um, the previous year when he won MVP, uh, they were questioning the offense this year. All the people figure him out. Well, what's it look like the past few weeks? <laughs> you know, the past five weeks when they needed to get hot and they needed to go on a run. The guy came back from COVID, you know, and since then when they were in Cleveland, that game right there sparked everything. Comes in on fourth down, makes arguably what will go down as possibly the game of the year. And especially as this season continues to tell itself and when, from our perspective, playing in 2000 as well, we had that kind of moment with Ray Rice, fourth and 29, I believe it was. Hey, diddle, diddle, Ray Rice up the middle, and Joe Flacco checks the ball down to him. He runs for about, he gets the first down, Anquan Bolden about kills Eric Weddle um, on the block, and, you know, we go and we get it, and it sparks our run. And so I think that I saw that moment in Cleveland is that, and you're talking about a quarterback that has continued to stay hot. Yeah, so I know if it's the Eagles, like I love watching them win, but I like watching Dallas lose just as much or or maybe more. <laughs> so I, I got to ask you before we move on to college football, what, what your thoughts on that Steelers game were and like how that felt watching that meltdown. You know what? You know, as a player that wore purple and black, I'm not the biggest fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I respect the Pittsburgh Steelers a lot because I like Coach Mike Tomlin. Like that's one of my favorite coaches in the game. Um, Joe Hayden, you know, that's like family to me. Like, I, I want him to succeed. I want him to do well. Uh, and, you know, Eric Ebron, like, there are guys on that team that, you know, I'm boys with the like everyone. I, there's so many guys on that team that I know work out with in the offseason from the past. Real good dudes. Even James Conner, right? Like, you you want to see these guys succeed. But when they lose, it's like, all right, like, you're not going to cry over it or anything. But I do, I do want, you know, success. It's, it's a tough spot to be in, especially as, you know, somebody's family. It's like, oh, as a Raven, I'm not that kind of a hater that, like, I never want them to do well. You know, you obviously you want your bragging rights. I'd rather Baltimore to get it done. But when you have boys that you're cool with, ultimately you want what's best for them as well. So, okay, so uh, Bama wins the national championship game again. Um, first, before before some of the, the stuff that happened, you know, around the players that played in the game and stuff like that, I saw that 
the um, pictures you put up when you were talking about Waddle and whether he should play or not. And then you had that story about your experience in high school that was that was somewhat similar. Um, tell maybe tell us about that. Man, listen, people love to talk about a guy like, I mean, Jalen Waddle obviously was hurt. You know, he, he messed his ankle up earlier this year. And I, he has all the respect in the world for me and so many others by fighting to rehab back. I know that feeling. I've been there before. When you rehab, you just want to be a part of your team and you want to play. Now, I've never had the opportunity to play in a national championship game, so I understand even more why he wanted to do that as a competitor. But sometimes you have to have someone hold you back, someone that has your best interest in mind, because that doesn't necessarily mean today. Like the best decision for him yesterday for him personally and what he felt was to play in that game and to be with his brothers. But the best decision for his future and for him was to stay away from that game and to stay away from that field or at least get out earlier than he did. You know, I thought when he had that catch and was able to run out, I thought it was a beautiful thing and a beautiful moment for him because he rehabbed his tail off. People don't know what goes through your mind as you're rehabbing and you're questioning if you're going to be there. And I can only imagine as a young guy, you know, just knowing that your team's going to have the opportunity to play in the national championship, wanting to be a part of that, uh, that, that toll that I took on him. But the reality of it is, this is a guy with a bright future, you know, first round pick, talent, and, you know, just a lifetime of health, right? It's bigger than just a game at times. So it was tough. And you got to have someone that holds you accountable and, and saves you from you. And that person for me was my mom, because... I've had that same situation. You know, again, not as big, not as deep, right? I, it wasn't as high of a level. But my last year of high school, I had a high ankle sprain. And I wanted to play in my last game. And I was hobbling around, you know, but I really wanted to play. And my mom was like, all right, you can play. You know, but she knew how I am. She knew I, I don't, if I get hurt, I don't stay on the ground. Like, I've never stayed on the ground. And I always took a lot of pride in it. I don't know why. I'd rather just get off and hurt on the sideline, but I never stayed on the ground. And next thing you know, I get rolled on. And I'm playing in the game. It's probably second quarter. I've had a few nice plays in there. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good in my mind. I know I'm looking like trash running around, but, you know, me at trash was still faster than a lot of people. <laughs> and so I remember getting rolled up on, and I stayed down. Like, I couldn't move right away. I couldn't get up right away. Like, I was hurting. And I was just like, dang, like, what am I going to do? And I'm talking to the trainer. And next thing you know, I see my mom <laughs> right over his shoulder. You're done. She was like, no, you're done. You're done. And she was letting me have it. She was cussing me out all the way across that field. You know, you're not gonna, you're not doing this. You're done. You're messing up your future. Da -da -da. And, like, I didn't want to hear anything she's saying. Like, I literally, I posted the pictures of her lighting me up going off the field. But the reality of it is, and then I even posted a picture of me crying at the end. Like, I wasn't crying because I was hurting. I was crying because I realized that I was, it was over. It was done. Like, she's telling me what I know is really right. And I didn't want to accept it. Yeah, she had my helmet at all to make sure I didn't, make sure I didn't go back in. And, you know, it was the right decision. So I, I told her that later on. But when you're in the moment, you don't realize it. You just want to go out there and play with your teammates. You want to go out there and have fun. And, again, we all need someone that can help hold us accountable for our actions. We also need someone that can help save us from ourselves. And I, for that, I'm definitely grateful for my mom because it, it helped me in so many other ways. It actually led to me being able to play basketball that year, a year when I had 
said that I wasn't going to play. I said going into my senior year, I wasn't going to play because I broke my leg uh, my junior year playing basketball, and I wasn't going to do it. And so because I healed up, and Ralph Regan, the coach of the University of Maryland Terrapins, gave me his blessing that I could play, and they were still honoring my scholarship, I did it. But if I was dealing with the high ankle injury, that probably would have been worse if I would have continued to play, and I probably would have never even played my last year. It's a great <laughs> – if you haven't seen the, the pictures on Tori's Twitter, they're – I mean, you can just see the the intensity on his mom. They're awesome. Yeah, she's going all. She's probably pop. You can see if you look real close, you can probably see some blood vessels that'll pop in that picture. <laughs> so if you flip to to another uh, receiver, he's starting to get some buzz a little bit. A little guy named Devonta Smith obviously had a huge game and and won the Heisman. He's a beast, man. I mean, what you saw yesterday, my man's had three touchdowns, two hundred some yards. Got hurt, called it a game got his Heisman he's going to the NFL like life is good talking about a very talented guy has a lot of hype and he continued to perform you win the Heisman and then you go and have 200 something yards and three touchdowns as a receiver like come on man oh my in a, in a half if he didn't get hurt he would have had over 300 yards guaranteed and you know he's a heck of a player he has a bright future ahead of him and you know I can't wait to see how he does whenever you see a guy that's that talented you know he's not that talented just because he's he's gifted he's in alabama like they work they're pros there they're already pros they already prepare like pros so i'm expecting him you know to to have a a great career and a, and a great start because there's going to be a lot of pressure when he gets picked in that first round how, how do you see that for him because obviously you've played receiver at that level you know how physical it is you know how you know the the demands of the job and lots of people talking heads twitter whatever uh, point out different analytics or with this or that like do you, do you see that as a barrier for him to overcome the the fact that he's not as physically intimidating necessarily they use all these analytics and all of these tools to evaluate players but they can't evaluate heart so i think of steve smith now steve smith is a lot more stockier than he is steve smith is short but steve has some mass with him um i think of marquise brown i think of deshaun jackson like there are guys that aren't necessarily the biggest that can that make flashes that can ball out in this league. And I see him as a guy who has that opportunity. You know, obviously you have to work for it and he will. I mean, you look at his makeup, it seems extremely humble. And again, I'm looking forward to watch him develop, but I don't I don't see any reason why he isn't gonna have a successful NFL career. You think all his recent the Heisman you know the game he had last night does that vault him ahead of jamar chase in your in your mind see that's the thing just because you're the best player in college statistically doesn't mean you're necessarily the best at your position if that makes sense and what i mean by that is no player was better than him when it comes to playing stats the impact on his team he's the highest winner but jamar chase at the nfl level is the probably the better player when you talk about his build you talk about his makeup i mean jamar chase would have been a first would have been a first receiver picked last year <laughs> had he come out as a sophomore right a true sophomore like the, the, the cat is talented so you know you i think as a gm you try to look at that you see what kind of offense you're playing now they both can play inside and out but there is something to be said when a guy has that body when you're basing it off of potential but again, I still feel like you can't go wrong with either one. But if I was a GM, I would take Jamar Chase. Yeah, it feels like they're both going to go probably pretty early and, you know, both both hopefully have real great careers. While we're talking about you being a GM, this is – I'm excited to talk about this. Uh-oh. I already, I, already, I already know where we're going. 
I already know where we're going. So you know, my birds, uh, it's been a rough, it's been a rough go for us this year. And uh, I mean, all, all over the map, it's just been tough from, from the controversy in the draft all the way through the actual season. And uh, obviously now the off season seems like it's going to follow suit in terms of up and down. Um, I guess let's start with Doug. So Doug's gone, like Doug's gone, which, which, which seems crazy. And so, and I don't know if you heard Jeffrey Lurie's press conference, but in it, he talked about the, the main thing being this difference in vision and that he, he, he wants a vision for the mid to long term as opposed to the short term. There's been a lot of talk about what that even means, but what does that signal to you like as a veteran? Cause, cause the Eagles have a, t- they're an, you know, an older roster. It's a veteran core. Uh, what does that signal to the players on the team when when the owner's talking about um, something like that? See, I think that's a perfect example of everyone isn't built to be the CEO <laughs> because you have to make decisions for now and going into the future. But before we dive into that, I want to you know, wish the best to Coach Peterson because he's a damn good coach. He's pr- arguably the best coach on the market. I mean, name a coach. Everyone wants to hire a coach based on their potential. But you aren't going to be able to find a coach that was in the playoffs three out of the last four years and won a Super Bowl. I mean, you just aren't. So he knows what he's doing. Uh, he's an excellent coach, and he knows how to put together a staff as well. But things have been rough in Philly the past couple of years. And it's not just on one player. It's not just on one coach. You know, it's everyone as a whole. And you see it in injuries and everything that comes into play. Um, but with Philadelphia, and speaking from Mr. Lurie's perspective, you know, you have to have things that align and things that you're comfortable with. Now, I don't know if there was some type of power struggle. I don't know what other things were going on. But I do know as a boss, you have to make sure that things are clear and that you're comfortable with that vision. And when you have a veteran team and your cap is high and you have all of these things, you're going to have to adjust on the fly. There's no team that goes out there and wants to tank and wants to stink it up. And Philadelphia is the last place where you can even get away with trying to just waste a year. Like, it just doesn't happen. And to be truth be told, there isn't a team out here that wastes a year. And anyone that believes that is out of their mind because there's a head coach that signed up for the job that wants to get paid. There are assistant coaches that want to get paid, that want to be elevated. Like, they want to win. But sometimes it just happens. Like, and you just get whooped. And to be honest, sometimes your team is just trash. Like, sometimes you have to just be able to look in the mirror and realize that. And when you think about Philadelphia and where this team is going now, there, there's a crossroads that are, that's happening right now. You just paid a guy in Carson Wentz, who I still believe is a damn good quarterback and will be a damn good quarterback for a long time. And you also have a very talented quarterback behind him and Jalen Hurts. There's a controversy there. So I think when you hear vision, when you hear short-term, when you hear long-term, I think that's a part of it as well. You know, where is that going? What does that look like? You know, I think when you look at the salary cap, which is more Howie Roseman and from a GM perspective, it's like, what can we do next year? What kind of space do we have? What kind of wiggle room do we have? Like, there's so many things that come to it. Oftentimes, you see the GM and the coach tied to each other, meaning they both get fired at the same time. But that clearly isn't the case. You know, Howie Roseman is a damn good GM, just like Doug Peterson is a damn good coach. That's why I believe that there was more so issues personally versus it being Doug's 
issue. Like you just have to be on board with all phases of what the plan is. And clearly that wasn't the case in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. Picking on one thing you said there about no, nobody wanting to tank. Um, I thought it was funny to see people pointing to week 17 being like, see, this is what happens. Cause week 17, you know what Doug did and you and will already talked about that, but clearly that, that, it's not the case. Yeah, no one, no one thinks. I, I think I said Emmanuel, like I said last episode, Emmanuel Acho said it best. I was arguing with people all day on Twitter about it, and I completely missed his his amazing clip. It's like he said it the best. People weren't mad that he put the backup quarterback in; they were mad at the result. <laughs> if he would have played well, and he would have threw for two hundred something yards, people would have been like, "Oh my goodness, we have a three way." A quarterback battle in, in Philadelphia. Like the whole narrative changes, but when you don't, you know, it makes it tough for everyone. It's, and it seems a lot worse than what it is. But I just think the way it was communicated, everyone's looking into it too deep. Even if, even players, I feel like certain players are looking into it too deep. If you've already said a player is going to play, and anyone who's been around this game knows that week 17, depending on how your team is, is damn near a preseason game. And if you didn't look at that injury report and seeing who was dressed and who wasn't, I don't know why people are acting like they're shocked with what happened. I mean, it, it happens for time time. You play bad. That wasn't the best circumstance in the fourth quarter. But the reality of it is, I don't believe they're, they were intentionally trying to tank. Like, that narrative is just so false to me. Right, right. And if Sefa would have balled out, nobody would be talking about it. No one. That's what I'm saying. No one. <laughs> uh, so you brought up Howie there at some point and talking about the power struggle a little bit. You've talked about your relationship with Joe Douglas in the past. Obviously, yeah. he's with the Jets now and, and uh, Doug – Peterson is is maybe connected to that job but um what's your relationship with Howie or um you know how, how do you view him as as part of all of this yeah Howie's my guy you know I used to talk to Howie all the time man I I, I haven't been around a single coach or GM that I, I have that I didn't like you know I think part of it is because I just mind my business and, and do my work um, I try my best. My best isn't always good enough, right? Like, I'm not perfect as a player. I wasn't perfect as a player. But the reality of it is I always respected everyone for who they were in their position, and I always tried to give my best. And so there, I haven't had a single person that I don't like. You know, I, I thought Howie, the way he pieced things together, the way I still remember sitting in the locker room, and Howie walks in and was like, hey, man, how would you like to play with Alshon Jeffrey? I was like, do it. I'm like, man, we won the damn Super Bowl, you know? And so to be able to talk to him back then and even talk to him now, you know, I haven't talked to him in, in some time now, but, you know, he's a guy that I can call at any point and I know he has my back. So uh, to me, you'll never hear me say a bad thing about Howie Rosen. Um, and I think that, again, he, he was a major reason as to why we were able to win the Super Bowl but again, as you know, in this business, sometimes when your decisions don't work or you pick players and it doesn't work out, you know, a lot of heat comes down on you. And, you know, I hope he gets it back right going there. But, you know, again, Howie, I think he has the ability to lead his team and why he's already proven it. Yeah. Yeah. So with all that in mind, then, I mean, we talked about Howie, we talked about the the expectations, the aging core, the, the cap situation. You got to figure out the quarterback. Lots of people. I mean. I'm so tired of hearing about it, but everybody on Twitter talking heads talking about how undesirable this job is going to be and how, you know, they're not going to be able to attract a, a top candidate, et cetera, et cetera. What's your opinion of that? Obviously there's other jobs. So, you know, I'm sure there's, there's a, there's a ranking of that, but um, do you see this as a, a desirable job? Do you think they'll be able to get the talent that they want in there? Yeah, I think they will. 
I mean, who doesn't want to coach the Philadelphia Eagles? Now you have to deal with some crazy-ass fans. Um, you have to deal with crazy expectations. But the reality of it is, what coach doesn't want it? And what people forget is that there aren't many head coaching jobs available at any given point. There's only 32 head coaches. And if you think, oh, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait, it may never come. And so when you think about the way an organization is, is run, the Eagles are in the top five when it comes to best run organizations. Now, someone may look at, well, how the hell does they let their great coach go? Like, I'd be looking like, uh, what coach is going to look at that and say, man, if they let a coach go that won a Super Bowl three years ago, four years ago, why the hell would I go there? Like, and I, I don't buy that. You know, clearly there were some challenges there. And people in that league talk and coaches, they talk to be able to figure out what it is and what they're comfortable with. But um, Philadelphia is is definitely a desirable place for a coach. And as you know, as a Philadelphia fan, you know, when you're doing well and the effort's there, you know, they love you. Now, I will say this, the Philadelphia Eagles fans are very spoiled in a sense um, because they've had some great seasons. Maybe not as many Super Bowl rings, obviously, as you like, but there have been some great seasons and some great teams there. So you always have that expect that high expectation, but that same expectation should still be there regardless. I don't care how old the team is. I don't care how young the team is. And the reality of it is that fan base is going to let you know, period. Um, but I think as a coach, you know, why wouldn't you want to be there? You know, you have Carson Wentz there. You have Jalen Hurts there. You have Fletcher Cox anchoring the middle of the defense. You know, there are so many talented players there that you can still have a window now to try to go and win a ring as soon as you get in. But the reality of it is, guys age in this league. The salary cap changes, and you have to be able to adjust with that on the fly. So whoever takes this job in Philadelphia, and again, you talking about an owner that mentioned a long-term vision, they have to be comfortable knowing that they have some time to get it right. And I think that Mr. Lurie, as a leader that thinks ahead, you know, will be more comfortable giving them that opportunity. Yeah, speaking for the fans that are crazy, and, and there's a there's a there's a loud minority. I feel like that get a lot of attention. But I was just ar- I was just arguing with a younger fan the other day uh, in my family <laughs> about this because if you're uh, uh, my age, thirty years old, or maybe a little older, you remember some of the bad days, you know, and and really for the past 20 some years, like you said, they have been in the top five. I mean, we don't have as many Super Bowls as other organizations, but like we've been to NFC championships, we've been to playoffs all the time. So definitely we've been spoiled, uh, especially compared to a lot of the teams in division. With all that being said, you've, you've had coaches from offense, defense, special teams, obviously uh, in, in Baltimore there. What, what do you see, you know, as pertinent in, in the background of a coach that you might hire if you're a team? Is it important in today's game that you have to be from the offensive side of the ball? Or, or what do you see as those values? I think the biggest values just have to be able to have a great leader. You know, the, the head coach is the guy that, one, they have to be able to bring in a great staff. Because the head coach is only as good as the staff that's under him. You know, if you if you watch the day-to-day operations of a head coach, the head coach can't coach the defense and the offense. It just doesn't happen. They kind of just know a little bit of everything. And I've been around some coaches that know absolutely nothing about the side of the ball that they did not coach. Meaning that you're like, oh, do you get an offensive coach? Well, that cat probably doesn't know a single thing about defense. 
And then you have, oh, I have a defensive coach. Well, offense, when it comes to terminology, he can tell you what's going on by what he sees, but he doesn't know it like that. And so you have to be able to bring in uh, coaching staff that the players believe in. Um, they have to make sure that the players feel like it wasn't something that was just thrown together. So to me, I think too often people look at new coaches or hot coaches as they're the savior. Like I, I view every coach the same. You know, what are you going to do when you get there? Because you can't anticipate. Uh, every, football isn't rocket science, right? No one's inventing anything magically new. So you have to find the best people to try to help lead. And then that just tends to stick. Because when you create that culture, from what I've seen more so than anything else, if you have a great organization and you establish a great culture, that gives you the greatest chance. Because then you have guys who are working extremely hard. You become a destination that players want to be. And you have the opportunity to go out there and win with coaches because of that knowledge. But too often, I mean, all these teams in the league are doing similar things. And it's about who can wear their hard hat and guide and lead men the best way who ends up coming out on top. Because as you see this year, like uh, like really every other year, a bunch of different things, a bunch of different types of adversity hit. And it's about how you handle it. I mean, the Baltimore Ravens are one loss over the past five weeks from not being in the playoffs. But Coach Harbaugh was able to rally that team, right? It comes to it. The Cleveland Browns played without their coach, <laughs> without coaches, right? And they were able to rally behind each other because of the culture of what they built. And now they're in the playoffs. And they won. They beat the big bad bully, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, I mean, it's about culture and the person and the way they lead. Even look at the Giants, right? Their coach was a special teams coordinator. And you're watching him and the way he leads there, even though I completely disagree with what he said about what happened in Philadelphia and his saltiness about not making the playoffs. He's a damn good leader of men. And even the comment that he said is a very strong comment for the culture that he's trying to establish. You know the deal there. Even though I think it's BS, that's the culture that he's building in his team and you have to respect it. And so that goes so much as anything else because I, I can tell you as a player in this league, players talk as well. And you can tell when a guy is sincere when they're not coaches talk. You can tell when a guy is fake for the cameras and how they are behind it. Um, and so you have to be behind closed doors. So you have to be able to establish that and have a guy that's going to lead your team the right way. Cool. So Jeffrey calls you tomorrow because he's like, Tori, we got to get the magic back in the bottle. You were here when we did it right. I need you to, I need you to step up and, um, you know, make another huge catch like you did in the NFC Championship game. Um, but this time it's for the organization. Who are you picking as head coach for the for the Birds? Well, if you have Eric Bieniemy, you have to get him. You're talking about a team with Carson Wentz, if you can save that relationship and everything's okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think you can. You know, I, I, think you, I think you can. I mean, Carson's not a guy. And again, I want to be clear before someone takes my words and run with it. I haven't asked him anything. I never asked him about trade. I never asked him about anything. But I know he's a guy that can handle adversity. He's a guy that is willing to work through problems. And he's not a quitter. So, you know, I believe that he could for sure be mature enough to be able to handle dealing with the new coach. I also, as a player, can understand if he said, you know what? <laughs> I need to change the scenery. Right. Like and, and one isn't greater than the other. Like one doesn't make him weak. One doesn't make him strong. That's the way I feel about it, because as a player, if you feel like you can't be comfortable in a situation, it's the same way as a person in their job. If I feel like if you feel like you can't trust your boss, 
<laughs> and you have options to go somewhere else, you're going to try to go. And so I just think that's human nature, but that's a completely different subject. And I could probably talk about that forever. But if I'm Mr. Lurie, you know, I get someone to try to fix that offense, get someone that the guys can believe in. And there are plenty of coaches out here right now who are ready for that opportunity. And a, and a dark horse too, Jim Caldwell. Ooh. Completely calm, peace. You're talking about like the Ron Rivera mode of leaders that are respected, that can get players to buy in, that can change your culture and reset your culture. That's the type of guy. Jim Caldwell. What about another, it seems to be like a, a, a rising uh you know, some momentum behind Deuce. And I know you you were there and spent a lot of time with him. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Deuce is a, a very strong leader. Deuce has paid his dues. You know, Deuce Daly, the unfortunate part for him is that he's stuck at the wrong position. In the NFL, they like to talk about their hiring process and opportunities and all these different things. Deuce Daly has been a coach for umpteen years right now <laughs> in the NFL. Deuce has paid his dues, but he's a running backs coach. And people don't elevate from that position the way they're supposed to. Doesn't mean they're not any smarter. Doesn't mean they're any dumber. They just aren't in that same pipeline. The people who get hired from the offensive side of the ball are the quarterback coaches, <laughs> the receiver coaches, the running back coaches, and the tight end coaches. Tight ends, maybe, I guess, but receivers, coaches, and, and running back coaches, they are at the bottom of the totem pole. So it's harder for them to move up. I mean, you're talking about Sean McVay, and he's barely older than me. And then you have uh, Joe Brady in Carolina. He's already had a head coaching interview. I think I'm older than him. Right? So, like, and, and he, they haven't coached as long as Deuce. So what magically makes us believe that one person is more qualified. What makes one person a guru when everyone can look at the same film and establish plays? So I think it's interesting how we look at who's qualified and who's not. And that's the reason why when you talk about the Rooney rule and all these other rules as to why black coaches don't move up, it's, uh, that's a major piece of it is because of who they coach. Black coaches coach the skill guys, the receivers, the running backs. There aren't very many African-American quarterback coaches. You know, I think Pep Hamilton comes to mind as one of the people who are can get tied into that role. But the reality of it is there aren't very many, which is why for Deuce to be able to get that opportunity, being that he's been on through a couple of different staffs, being that he has respect in that locker room and in that organization, being that he is a strong leader, being that he is well-known in the Philadelphia area and, and he's known for being in, in a real-deal eagle, uh, there could be some legs to it. And again, we give head coaches too much credit at times for things that they don't do. Deuce Staley could put a staff together. That's what it's about. You know, you, you never want your head coach to be the smartest person in the room. And I think you even see that in New England. You have the greatest head coach of all time, but he always has some bright minds with him. And I think that there's no reason why Deuce Staley wouldn't be able to do the exact same thing. Yeah, I've, I've seen, it's been cool to see a lot of the guys who either are on the team or like you and Malcolm or, or other people who have recently been on the team come out and, and 
support him too. So that, that was just interesting. Yeah, you have to, man. I mean, he's a he's a damn good leader, man. Get you fired up, work extremely hard. He's gonna hold you accountable, and that's what you want out of a coach. And you respect it because he's done it, and because he's gonna bring his hard hat each and every day. And again, as a player, that's all you can ask for. Well, thankfully, that was a low point for me. But we get to have a whole new round of of, uh, of good games this weekend. And uh, I'm excited to watch that, see see what storylines shake out. And um, yeah, man, appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. So next week, I'm getting my brother Jacoby Jones on here. But I like this vibe, Adam, man. I like this vibe. Go ahead. We can just talk, talk ball, have you help. We transition on through these things and... Flip the road. I felt like you were the host today. I liked it. I enjoyed it. We had to mix it up on the podcast and cover some ground, but we'll catch y'all next week. Loud and goofy Jacoby Jones, Mr. 108, will be on the show. Y'all enjoy the games this week. Peace. Peace.